This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. We have a returning guest today. She is an associate professor at the University of Iowa, where she holds a complimentary appointment at the Law School and the Center for Human Rights. Her research focuses on military ethics and philosophy of international law and has been published in venues such as Ethical Theory and Moral Practice, Journal of Military Ethics, and Ethics in International Affairs. She is a resident fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Last time she was here, she spoke about the political military separation and what military members can do within the political realm. This time, we're talking about artificial intelligence, AI, specifically about the responsibility gap. Welcome, Dr. Jovana Davidovich. It's great to be here. Responsibility gap. Tell me what that is, especially relative to artificial intelligence, weapon systems, algorithms, and all that kind of stuff. So the responsibility gap is um, it's something that many people are worried about when it comes to using artificial intelligence for consequential decision-making in, in war, or life and, life and death decisions, really, in war. Um, and the reason they're worried about it is as you sort of remove or distance the human making the decision from the final act that results in, let's say, a death of a soldier or a death of a civilian, uh, it becomes harder and harder to know who to assign responsibility to. So to give you an example, imagine uh, an operator deploying uh, loitering munition for let's say a period of four hours, and this loitering munition is meant to very much like the Harpy system that Israel has, is meant to identify a radar with a certain signature within a certain area, with a certain box. Um, what happens when, let's say, three hours into the loitering, um, Harpy identifies a school bus as a radar for some reason, right? Uh, who do we assign the responsibility for, let's say, uh, you know, sad outcome, uh, 20 children who were in the school bus end up dying? Who would we assign the responsibility for that action? Would it be the operator who pressed that button? Would it be the commander who decided to use Harpy in this uh, case? Would it be the developers who maybe didn't use good training data? It becomes just harder uh, and more com complicated. So really, we, you know, in, in the in the scholarly literature, this is called the responsibility gap, and I think we should probably call it something like the responsibility complication. It's it's just it's complicated to assign responsibility when we use AI to help us make life or death decisions. And, and is that because of the way we've thought about responsibility for the last thousand years, or is there something new to this matrix? I want to get to the why are people worried about that, but tell me, tell me, is it because of the way we today look at responsibility, that term? Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, I think it's it, both in sort of everyday circumstances, but for our purposes in military decision-making, the, the human who made the decision that had a good or a bad outcome was sort of causally in the chain of events, often proximate to the outcome. So, you know, I pressed the button that resulted in a bullet uh, killing somebody. It's easier to know when, when the human making decision and the outcome are closely temporally related, it's easier to know how to assign blame. Uh, it becomes much harder when 
uh, AI sort of augments my decision or when I just press a button telling AI to go identify certain targets. When I leave some of that decision making uh, to AI, it becomes much harder to decide who to blame. But why are people worried about that today? Seriously, you know, if I'm the guy who pulls the lanyard to launch a 155 shell downrange, I think I know that I'm the person who metaphorically pulled the trigger, or maybe it's the forward observer who actually is identifying that target. Why are people worried about the responsibility gap? So I think they're worried for a number of reasons. Um, sometimes we just want to know who to blame, right? So sometimes we want to know how to assign moral responsibility. We want to say who is at fault, morally speaking, for something going wrong. Uh, if let's say there's a violation of discrimination, so somebody, you know, there was an intent behind targeting civilians, or if there's sort of an action that caused disproportionate harm to civilians, let's say. We want to know who to hold morally responsible. But also, and separately from that, we want to know who to hold legally responsible. So we might want to, you know, know who to punish, just to put it simply. And 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 then there's a third sort of reason we would want to know who to hold responsible, and that is so we can fix it. Uh, we need to be able to explain or understand where exactly that things go wrong so that we can fix it for next time. So simply put, there's sort of moral moral responsibility reasons, there are legal responsibility reasons, and there is fixing uh, whatever was the flaw reasons to want to fill in the so-called responsibility gap. All right. Now, you just picked on a or, or chose a really interesting term, uh, explainability. Do I, as that lanyard puller or that button pusher, so to speak, need to explain or understand uniquely how the algorithm works? It depends. Uh, there's a sense in which you do, right? There's a sense in which you know, need to know when to trust it. That's a form of understanding. Um, you probably need to know when the algorithm fails usually. So, you, you know, the way I use GPS, I don't know how GPS works, but I know how to use it. And I sort of can recognize what it's failing when it's telling me, do a U-turn, do a U-turn. And I know that I'm supposed to be going straight. So similarly to that, there is a sense of there's certain types of things that the operator uh, needs to understand. And for their understanding, there needs to be some sort of explanation of how the algorithm decided that, let's say, you know, that is a target that is legitimate. Um, but, you know, but there are sort of explanations that others need to have. Somebody who is, let's say, doing testing and evaluation of a weapon system for the purposes of putting it on ships, let's say, in the future, they better be able to understand not simply when it commonly fails. They better be able to understand exactly what's happening. Uh, what was the training data on which the algorithm was trained? How does algorithm operate in different types of circumstances? How would you change the algorithm in different, you know, under different rules of engagement and so on? So I guess the short answer is we do need an explanation for why an algorithm gave us a certain outcome, gave us a certain advice, but the sort of complexity of that explanation and how robust that explanation needs to be depends on who's using it. Is it a tester? Is it a commander? Is it an operator? Is it citizens deciding whether or not to support um, the use of such weapons? So to go back to your GPS analogy, if I'm the operator and I know I'm in the middle of a tunnel under a mountain, I have to understand that that satellite transmission, the timing code, isn't going to penetrate that rock. So I've got to know that the GPS is probably skewed in that case, right? That's what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think one good way to think about when we should trust AI uh, 
I mean, it's probably a more complex question, but one good way to think about trusting AI is to think about when you would trust a human or when you would trust GPS. You would trust them when you had a lot of experience with it. You would trust it when you know that it's undergone rigorous testing or evaluation, or in the case of a human, you know it's somebody you have seen uh, act well in similar circumstances. And you would trust it if you know sort of common ways it fails. So I think those three are at least the starting point of, of having what we call calibrated trust. Trust that's not over-trust and trust that's not under-trust. It's, it's a reasonable, justified trust. It's when you have experience, when you know when the system commonly fails, and when you know that it's undergone rigorous testing evaluation. Okay, so I'm going to go back to my forward observer days. I know the guy or the gal who's actually forward of the front lines calling in fires on a specific target. I was in school with that person. I know what the fire call what the, what the fire call procedure is. You're saying it's different though when we talk about trust with AI and maybe it's because I don't know where that technology those ideas are coming from. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. One is that in, in the case of somebody you've had experiences with, this is similar to you, let's say the pilot, having had lots of experience with AI. That's one. But two is you also know their values. You sort of know that they are responsible, that they're going to double check things. This is the same. You, you not only need to know, you not only need to have experience with the system, you also need to know that the testing and evaluation that it has undergone the system was rigorous and that it embodied certain values. Um, and so if you have that, if you have rigorous testing evaluation, if you have decent amount of experience with the system, and if you know what are the common ways it would fail in this particular set of circumstances, um, those are your reasons to say, okay, I'm going to trust this system or I'm not going to trust this system. One big worry with AI is overtrust. One big worry with AI is just saying, well, maybe AI is, you know, quotation marks around this word, seeing something I'm not. So let me just defer to AI, the so-called automation bias. It's different here because in the past, we've got these large corporations who have significant experience you know, significant protocols set around testing with AI. We don't have that yet. That's right. I mean, there's such a large range of issues with testing and evaluation for AI. One is, first of all, that now the solutions are piecemeal. So in the past, you know, the military had a particular uh, need and it would go to a large weapons manufacturer and say, build us this. And the testing evaluation was rigorous, both within the, the manufacturer uh, protocols, but also when the DOD took it over. But when it comes to AI solutions, they're, they're very piecemeal. You know, the, the, the DOD might go to or the Air Force might go to a small startup and say, look, we need help with object recognition of this type to identify targets in this type of a region. And then you build that into, let's say, a range of weapon systems. And so you might have a single algorithm for object recognition that you might put into several weapon systems and, you know, it might work better for some and worse for others. It might work better on, in areas where the training data corresponds to the area in which you're using it, but it might not work very, very well in, let's say, a different area. So if the training data was from the desert, it might not work as well as, uh, it might not work as well in Siberia, let's say. So um, one problem is the piecemealness of, of the way we build weapon systems that use AI. The other one is just that we don't have clear protocols yet. These things can change so much. Doing a testing and evaluation one time is not going to be enough. It needs to be an iterative process. 
So, so how do we solve this dilemma? How do we solve this trust dilemma or this responsibility gap dilemma? Are there, I mean, there's scholarly work going on in, in, in that area. Yeah, I think we just need to, as the DoD is doing and, and the Joint AI Center in particular is doing, uh, building new AI-specific TEV, testing, evaluation, validation, and verification processes that are iterative, that are cradle to grave, that understand that fitness for purpose is really important. Um, and, you know, also trying to make sure that when these systems fails, fail, they fail sort of gracefully. They don't, they don't fail miserably because think about it. If I fail as a decision maker, as a soldier, I might, you know, my, my failure might result in a few deaths. If a system that's being used in a hundred different ships fails simultaneously, it might result in a hundred thousand deaths. I mean, I'm exaggerating here, but the point is when a system like this fails, it can fail really on a grand scale. And so it's incredibly important that we get the, the testing and evaluation right. And once we do that, that is going to be and should be the sort of the cornerstone of what, why our operators should trust it. Once the test is really well done, that's a good reason for operators to trust the systems that have gone through this rigorous process. Okay, you're keeping us on the cutting edge of technology, and I'm going to harken back to our earlier conversation about uh, political military separation. You're out there on a lot of different fronts. Thanks for joining us on Radio Stockton. Thank you for having me, Mike. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 